Welcome to Between the Covers, the show for readers and writers and lovers of books. I'm Stephanie, and I'm a publisher at Red Penguin Books, where we publish books of all types and genres. So whether you have a manuscript all ready to go, a book still stuck in your head, or even 200 sheets of handwritten loose leaf. And yes, probably at least once a month, we get a packet with a pile of loose leaf sent to our office. Just visit us at redpenguinbooks.com and unleash your inner author. I'm so excited tonight to be joined by three authors who have definitely unleashed themselves. We have quite a variety tonight. Uh, Mary Connedy Sullivan is the author of Nudges from the Other Side, True Stories of Afterlife Communication. Then we're gonna meet Dr. Sunday with Car Talk, Body Talk, Integrative Primary Care for Adults Only. And finally, Lori Condon, There's No Place Like Home. We'll wrap up our evening today. So first off, we're gonna meet Mary Connedy Sullivan and our author writes of this book. I received a lot of advice on what to do and how to do it after I lost my 20-year-old son, Aaron, to a fatal accident on Memorial Day in 2010. See a counselor, sign up for a grief group, go here, go there, do this, do that. But I was completely lost. And the only thing I knew for sure was that I didn't want to follow any of those suggestions. I was too exhausted because losing my only child was utterly debilitating on every level. One person, however, said something that resonated. Listen, Mary, work if you want to, don't work if you don't want to. Just do what you feel like doing for as long as you need to do it. That felt like a license to do exactly what I needed to do and was immensely liberating to me. So I picked up an empty journal and began writing. And I did this because the day of Aaron's funeral, the most amazing things began happening. I knew I had to write them down because otherwise I would risk forgetting them or worse. I might later tell myself that I had imagined what was happening. 13 years later, I'm still experiencing my son communicating with me in the most creative and mind bending ways. And others who have left our time have also nudged me and others from across the veil, defying what we've all been taught about the finality of death and what we consider to be the very black and white laws of science. I've discovered that our loved ones can and do reach out to us to let us know they're alive and well and to make sure we know they still care about us. I'm so delighted to introduce first-time author, Mary Connedy Sullivan. Thanks so much for joining me. Well, thank you. Thank you oh, very you're very welcome. And, and, and thank you for such a fabulous description. If anyone thinks I was making that up on the spur of the moment, no, no, that was just amazing. Uh, what, what a journey you have been on and continue to be on. Right. So the, 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 the first seeds of this book were actually that first journal that you started writing from the funeral day. Is that correct? Yeah, it is. Um, the advice that I got and the journaling began right at the beginning. And the events that happened were, at first, way too coincidental. Mm. And, you know, we question ourselves, me and my husband, which he feels like an integral part of my being. But yeah, we question why is this happening and how can this even be happening? And thank God that I did write it down because I know now, all these years later, I would maybe remember five of the incidents. Mm. And I would question my tortured mind and say, yeah, I, I kind of like amplified that and made that up. But then when I go back and I read it and I'm, I'm like one and a half feet away from that very journal right now at this moment, I read it and I go, no, that really did happen. 
And sometimes when I reread it and when I wrote the book at the beginning part of the year, I said, oh my gosh, that really did happen. And yeah, I know I would have maybe forgotten it or maybe discounted it. And so thank God that uh, Keith Banks from Bank of America, um, which was my intro at the time, um, gave me that great advice. And I just, you know, I said, no, I don't want to do this. I don't want to do that. I don't want to go here. I don't want to go there. But what I wanted to do was put down my feelings and I wrote them by hand. And about, you know, six or seven years into the journey, I literally wrote, and you'll read this if you ever read the book, which I would be honored if you did. I wrote, you know, someday I need to put this in a book. And then in, you know, 2023, it became a reality to open up the space and time to be able to do that. I, I am so glad that you said what you did about writing things down for two reasons. One, so that we don't forget, mm -hmm. but also so that we don't question later whether it really did happen. And I think that that's so important. It's a great message for anyone, whatever they're going through, because mm -hmm. you're so right. We do question ourselves after the fact. Yeah. Maybe yeah. it really yeah. didn't happen. That's right. That's right. And, you know, ever since the book launched on October 15th, a really, um, a really spiritual date for me, and, and you were great to make that happen. But ever since the book launched, Aaron has been extremely active. And, you know, we all end up with a Word version of our manuscript. And at some point, there's a dark line that cuts off where we set it to the publisher. And then it got published. But I have been journaling ever since. And I've even been posting some of the things that, you know, amazingly and mind-bendingly have continued to happen. And so it's very real. And I hope no one... I'm, you know, this meeting tonight really has to ever experience what I did. But I say that knowing that in this life, we all experience significant loss. And if my journey and the words in my book can be of any comfort, hope, peace, love, healing for anyone, that is the purpose um, for me and Aaron writing it down and, and giving it as a gift to the world. That's that's so beautiful and so true. Whatever path someone's life is on, we do all experience losses. Mm -hmm. And your your message about writing, journaling, you know, uh, we all think that we take pictures nowadays because we carry around phones, but it doesn't capture feelings. Right. It really doesn't. We capture what I had for dinner <laughs> or, or what the dog did or something like that. But mm -hmm. it's not as deep as you're journaling now. And by journaling, you allow Aaron to journal also. That's right. And, you know, I'll amplify that by that um, I've really been thinking lately that the written word really um, creates a legacy. You know, the way that our ancestors used to chisel on cave walls and draw paintings on cave walls. Today, we've got these beautiful devices where I can maybe write it 110 words a minute when my brain is engaged. And we've got a lovely way of giving our thoughts to others and creating a lasting legacy, even after the day that I'm gone. And I recently heard someone say, and I think I'll get this right, that we really die twice. Once on the day we die, and the final time on the day no one else has our name. Mm. And when we create a legacy through the written word, you know, that kind of name and that history 
really lives on in infinity. Oh, I'm so glad you said that. I am such a huge believer in books as legacy. Mm -hmm. uh, so much so that uh, when I first went into publishing myself, our first published book was my beloved stepfather's memoir. And, and he has passed, but my children and one day their children and their children can meet him and know him. So I really love what you said about legacy for what you've experienced and for Aaron to be alive here yeah. through the legacy. Oh, thank you. Would you speak a moment? And I, I had a little, you know, of course, read the book, so I, I know. Um, and I am a huge animal lover. And so much of your work and experiences um, are through animals, horses. Would you share that a bit with our viewers? Because I found that so fascinating. Yeah, sure. Thank you for bringing that up. Um, you know, when I was a little girl, I always wanted to be surrounded by animals. It was innate. It was just what I wanted. And yet my mom and dad didn't want any more animals. They were older. I was unexpected. They were done with all that. And so I got a box and that was it. And, and I was sad about that. I wanted a puppy. I wanted a dog. I wanted multiple cats, et cetera, et cetera. But, you know, as I grew older, um, that love and that longing only deepened. And so I was very, very fortunate um, to be able to bring horses into my own orbit when I was only 19 years old. I bought my first horse and I had some great and, and you know, le great learning experiences really on that horse. And you know, that love has remained. And one of the things through all these years, I'm 65 years old now, and my husband and I live on a farm with a four horses. We ride all the time. But one of the things that I learned is that in particular of all of our animals, I think equines are amazingly connected to the universe, to our paths. And one thing that they do as a prey animal, and, and they allow us predators to be with them and to ride them and get on their backs, which is an amazing thing in and of itself. Uh, but one of the things that they do is they just really reflect back to us a mirror of our hearts and our real intentions. And you know, as humans, it's easy to fool one another, but it isn't easy to fool a horse because <laughs> they're reading our body language. They can sense our heartbeat from, I think, like three meters away. And so they're always going to be honest. And so I maybe can be as all my human companions, but I can never be as a horse. And so what a wonderful journey that, you know, they've been on. And they created right with me when I lost Aaron. And in the book, I talk about an experience where I went to what I believe is a sacred place. Um, Equinection, and that's here in the mountains in North Carolina. And um, it's too much to really go into, other than to say to you and the listeners this evening that literally the horse that I felt connected to worked with me and was by my side of his own volition all weekend long. He could have left at any point, but he literally stood over me and he wept with me as I poured out my feelings and, and really began my grief journey um, there that weekend. Oh, that's amazing. What, 
What was the name of that place again? Just so we remember. Yeah, it is Equinection. Equinection. Yeah. Right, Equine, Equinection. Equinection. What a special place. And I'm so glad Mm -hmm. that uh, you were able to be there and have that experience. I, I hope all of our viewers become readers and experiencers also. Nudges from the other side, true stories of afterlife connection. You'll definitely want to read all about Mary's journey, her journey, which continues. Our next author today is Lori Condon, the author of There's No Place Like Home. And our author writes, Claire and Gary, college sweethearts, married for decades, were at an impasse. They had been together forever and started taking each other for granted. When faced with problems they would normally tackle together, they turned elsewhere and struggled to find their way home. Gary finds his biological family. Claire struggles with identity issues and their son is forced to become an adult. Will they be able to overcome sickness, addiction, and deceit, and remember what brought them together? Please welcome with me, author Lori Condon. Thanks so much for joining me. Thanks for having me. Oh, absolutely. I, you know, I'm reading that and I'm thinking, so you just described everyone who's married over 20 years. (laughs) (laughs) That is kind of (laughs) true. We try to stay right off that abyss, but uh, tell me a little bit about what got you starting writing. And then we'll ask you about the personal stuff, like what got uh, inspired this book. (laughs) Sure. So this is actually my my third book actually um the the first one was an exercise book and the second book that i wrote was about how unhappy i was about turning 50 but this particular book uh came because my husband was adopted and um (laughs) and his story was so ridiculous i couldn't believe it and i'm and um i said we have to do something with this and so that was the kernel that started the book, um, that the idea of writing the book. Um, but just so you know, I don't sell drugs. <laughs> and a lot of it is not true. So. <laughs> okay. So we started with one kernel. You know, I love that. Because so many people ask me, I don't know what to write about. And and you are such a beautiful example um, of taking a kernel of truth. No, her husband is not this. No, she's not selling drugs out of the kitchen window. But <laughs> it, you took a kernel and you ran with it. And I'm loving that. Thank you. Yeah, it was just so interesting. Um, And, and you know, without giving away too much, the his story, um, he's thankfully very healthy, but I, I embellished um, just his character. And uh, the book is dedicated to his sister who passed from the disease that comes up in the book. So when you mentioned legacy before, this was how I could keep her alive because he just met her and she passed within a year of knowing her from this genetic disorder that we learned he had. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So so sorry. Thank you. But you're right. Legacy. Legacy means that that relationship that spark that finding that and and this person that you didn't get to be with all these years but now lives on and I felt like he was so happy to find that connection to find his biological family relatives that there's eight of them just so you know <laughs> and um five of the eight siblings passed from this <gasps> genetic disorder which I wanted to bring attention to as well it's called Lee Fromani syndrome which I'd never heard about. And, you know, we thought we were just going to find another family, another connection. Um, And it turned out to be a whole different journey. Oh my gosh. Now this genetic condition, I presume is passed down from generation to generation. Yes. So it's the, the odds are one in 20,000 of of getting it. And if you're a female, if you, um, you have a 70% chance, if you're if you end up, yeah. So if you end up with the gene, you have a 70% ch- 
chance of it being fatal. And for males, it's 50. <gasps> it does not skip a generation. So hmm. when we were figuring out if my husband had it, you know, I have a child. Right. So all of a sudden, all the things that you worry about, you think are so unimportant and you put things in perspective and you're like, oh my God, I am so blessed. Thankfully, I'm just going to say my husband doesn't have the gene, oh. but um, yeah, but that was a really rough <laughs> waiting period. I can't even imagine. And, um, you know, those uh, those genetic tests or however it is that your husband came across. His... It was Ancestry. Ancestry.com. Ancestry. Okay. Yep. Yes. My my mother found people on Ancestry.com, yeah. too. But, um, you know, sometimes that's quite the Pandora's box that's getting. Oh, my God. Who knew? <laughs> but in, in your case, while it was incredibly stressful and and horrible that you experienced loss, I would presume it's better to have that knowledge going into the next generation than not to have it. Absolutely. Because every time he would go to a doctor, they say, what is your medical history? And he would say, I don't know, <gasps> you know, and he didn't know if he had siblings. He didn't really get any story from his adoptive parents. So it was kind of like a closure in a way, finding out, you know, figuring out the journey. And again, we met some wonderful people like he has a brother in France who speaks fluent French, which we communicate on Google with. Wow who I call him, my husband's name is Keith. I call him bald Keith <laughs> because they're, they look so much alike and it's just amazing. And they, um, they do have similar careers and they have a lot in common. Wow. But anyway, yeah. Wow. So, so we, you, you were a writer. When did you start writing even long before the ancestry.com and everything? When did you start? Oh yeah. yeah. Um, so I've, oh, I've written, so I'm a personal trainer as one of my side interests. Mm -hmm. And I wrote a fitness book because my full-time career is in technology sales. Okay. And I traveled a lot and I was very concerned about not being able to exercise and eat healthy when I was traveling. So in order to help myself, I came out with a fitness guide called Keeping Fit on the Run. And it was a book on how to eat right and exercise and like a hotel room workout and how to eat when you're traveling. So that was my first um, so that was in 2003. And then I wrote a bunch of, I've written for a bunch of fitness publications. And then it's too long of a story, but I, I had a book club with, um, that I hosted a lot of famous authors at my home. Oh. And, um, and one of them was here, Sally Hepworth. I'm sure you, you've yes. heard of her. Uh, and I, I told her of an idea of a book I had started writing in college and I had lost it and I asked her to write it. <laughs> and she said, I'm not writing your book for you, but why don't you pick it up again? And it wasn't a topic that was relevant to me anymore. Mm. And she said, what is on your mind? And I, and I thought about it and I'm like, I am just so upset that I'm turning 50. I feel like where did those 50 years go? And all these things were happening to my body and I felt like no one talked about it. So I started thinking about the idea of writing a book about coming to terms with aging. And then I thought about how every phase in your life is a big deal until you move on and you get through it. So the book, the other book is called Everything is a Big Deal Until It's Not. And that's exactly what it's about. And that actually helped me deal with the fact that I was turning 50, which was a while ago. <laughs> and and I and so many people came out of the woodwork who had different experiences that were worse than mine. <laughs> so I, I felt better and yeah, and it was a great way to communicate and just, you know, put your feelings out there. I love that. I just recently read a little statement that said, you know, when you're in your twenties, you're always worried about what people think. When you're in your forties, you decide, I don't care what people think. And when you're in your sixties, you realize nobody was thinking about you at all. Oh my God. <laughs> Is said, that true? Wow. That's like a little that's harsh, funny. but yeah, but, but uh, you're absolutely right. Each, each era is a different experience and whether people had exactly yours or read yours and said, oh my gosh, she gets me. <laughs> so, so then we had this ancestry test and it opened up Pandora's box. Well, this book actually, so it's about 
um, you know, when when people are together, we mentioned for a long time, they sometimes we take each other for granted until something happens where like the thought for a moment that something could happen to my husband. I can't imagine life without him. But he was dealing with his crisis and he didn't want to burden me. Right. But he, I mean, I again, this is embellished. So I knew two days after it happened and I was through the whole thing. But in this in this book, the characters lose each other. So actually, I was thinking of that song by Rupert Holmes, If You Like Pina Colada, because that's actually about the personals before they there was Match.com. It's about someone putting an ad in the newspaper because they were bored with their relationship and then going to find out that their perfect match was their same spouse. I did not know that was about that. Yeah. So if you listen to the words, and that's kind of how this book is, he the character goes to try and deal with this potential disease and he doesn't tell his wife and she's having a midlife crisis and feeling her son's growing up and leaving the house. And she, she tells her best friend, I don't know how, you know, I'm not feeling good. I'm not happy. I feel invisible. And her best friend said, take these little pills. They'll make you feel better. And she starts taking Adderall and um, likes it and then starts selling it. And so she gets down her own path. So they're both separately dealing with their problems instead of coming together. And then they have this child who should be the focus of their attention because he's coming of age. He's just, you know, getting ready to go off to college. He has his first girlfriend and they're both totally distracted and he's left to his own devices. So it's about them all figuring out that they need each other to to navigate the journey. Yes. Now, this is your third book. Yeah. The, the most fictional of all of your Correct. books. Correct. Yes. Tell me a little bit about that process. I mean, you went from how to exercise in a hotel room. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Which I'm feeling very guilty about, right? <laughs> uh, I'm sorry. To, to more of a personal experiences about your own coming of age, to this book that while there's no place at home like home, might have had some seeds of truth in it really is about this fictional family. So tell me a little bit about writing on that level. Sure. So I think about what's important to me and what I would like to share with the audience. So at the time I was struck. So my first book, I was eating disordered, right? So I had to get myself through what I had to my job you know, and I had to make that work. So to me, I tend to take a problem and I want to share it with people and feel like, why would I go through it if I wouldn't be able to help someone? Mm -hmm. So that was the purpose of that book. And the same thing, I felt like there's kind of a stigma about talking about things that you're ashamed of or aging, you know, all the things that come along and the changes to your, but no women, we don't really talk about it. They're, they're not fun topics. And I felt like if I put it out there, I would be helping other people and I would get feedback as well. And in this last book, I feel like our relationships are so sacred and we're so quick to dismiss them. And I wanted to to be an example to say, like, you know what, we're better together. So the thought of it is, you know, there's no place like home. So the couple had issues, but they worked together. They communicated and I'm very big on communication. I think holding uh, feelings in is not good for you. And all three of these books has a little bit about that. I love that. I love that. Did you feel um, freer writing fiction than nonfiction? Oh, so much. Really? (laughs) Yeah. So like I would, I was running one day on the treadmill and I'm like, oh my God, Claire's going to be addicted to Adderall. (laughs) Like I... (laughs) I so yes, it was very exciting to be able and and when the and just to be honest, um, Gary almost didn't make it. That's my but I loved him. I fell in love with him. So I was able to go back and change the story because I I didn't I wanted him to have. I wanted him to go on. <laughs> so, oh, I love yes. that. Yeah. I love I, I had a lot more fun with this one for sure. 
So do you have any new projects? Are you going to go further down the fiction path or what's I'm already writing another one. So again, uh, it's called the new one is called Mother and it's about um, the sandwich generation. And it is based partially on my experience of taking care of my mother and taking care of my young son (laughs) and what it's like being a mother to a kid and to your parent. (laughs) It's very hard to write. And it is made up, but a lot of it hurts because my mother had Alzheimer's and I'm I'm going down that route because it's what I know. And I run a support group for Alzheimer's. So I hear a lot of stories, but I think it's really important to what I want to put out there is that it's okay to have your feelings. It's okay to feel guilty for not wanting to be in the situation of being everyone's mother, you know, so I'm I'm about 70 pages into it. Well, I'm glad to hear that because I have a whole <laughs> lot of friends that we sit around and talk about being right there in the middle of that sandwich. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. So so we are all ready for that. That's for sure. Well, we want to make sure that our readers know there's no place like home. And while you're there at lauriecondonauthor.com, I'm sure you can find some information. If you unlike me, did want to exercise in a hotel room. (laughs) (laughs) You can find out all about that, about uh, Lori's uh, insights on aging and more to come, which I'm so excited about. Thank you so much. Our last author today, Dr. Sunday, is the author of Car Talk, Body Talk, Integrative Primary Care for Adults Only. And our author writes... This book is a self-care guide for adults utilizing the U.S. healthcare system. Inside, you will find lighthearted comparisons to the different functions of cars. Phrases like gaining traction, getting body work done, and where the rubber meets the road point to how both practitioners and the general public use car analogies in daily discussions. Each chapter is rooted in a vehicle theme and divided up into the seven principal energy centers of the body based on yoga principles. From root to crown, the themes, colors, and seven chapters follow these seven energies, which are also the colors of the rainbow. It is far from linear. It is a hybrid perspective and an integrative primary care approach aimed at helping diverse U.S. adults navigate the system and reach optimal health. Please welcome Dr. Sunday. So delighted to have you. Thank you. Thank you so much. Oh my goodness. And yes, I know a whole lot of people who need that integrative approach to health care. It's not easy, is it? It's what not. what inspired it? Were you a, a car aficionado or were you having just so much difficulty speaking to uh, other car people that you came upon this great analogy? No, actually, I think, you know, I do hear the analogy a lot um, from other colleagues. I hear it, you know, just in general conversations and we use it with our patients as well. I'm a active primary care nurse practitioner and it just helps people kind of understand a little bit better how they treat their bodies or how they treat their cars oftentimes better than their own bodies. (laughs) Um, because we'd never put, um, diesel in a car that was only meant for unleaded gasoline. Right. So, so just using those kind of like sort of sets a light bulb off sometimes about um, how we do care for our own bodies. And yeah, I'm not, I'm actually not a huge car person. (laughs) (laughs) I like to walk and bike and things like that, but I love nature. And that's one of the reasons I do have a hybrid vehicle. Um, Of course I could have electric, but that's not feasible right now. So hybrid is the next best thing. And it kind of falls in line with my general persona and, you know, where I was born to where I live and mm-hmm. my marriage is a hybrid marriage. And all the, <laughs> it's the whole thing, the whole thing. It's the whole thing. I'm hybrid. <laughs> I, I, I think it's a, <laughs> an 
you know, it, you make such a good point there. You know, we we would we understand that you have to do certain things for cars, and yet we don't do them for ourselves. You're absolutely right. That must be so frustrating as a nurse practitioner. Well, we're we all do it. There's, you know, no one is. Uh, we live in a society where it's fast food nation, and it's it takes effort to be intentional about what you're putting in your mouth and where you're getting your food from. And, you know, are you going to walk or are you going to take the car? It's not so easy to take the bus. Uh, Most transportation systems are not really devised to um, help you in that route. So we really are a fast food nation, a car nation, even the fast food is like a car analogy, right? Like speed racer, Um, you know, folks are, you know, oftentimes filled with road rage and, you know, just taking a step back and thinking about the way these ideas sort of, um, evolve and become part of our society, I think is super important. And the other thing is we get a manual for everything. We get a manual for our car. We get a manual for our blender. We get a (laughs) manual for, you know, our TV and our stereo system, but we don't get a manual for how to be a a healthy adult navigating the U.S. healthcare system. And this is that manual. This is what I'm hoping that manual can be for U.S. adults. And so you'll see the title has a little attraction for a little something for everyone, right? So car talk to grab the guys, (laughs) body talk to grab everybody, (laughs) um, integrative primary care so that folks, you know, who are actually trying to practice more integratively, uh, will have a guide to go by something I wish I had when I started out. And then adults only is just a playful way of getting older teens to look at the book (laughs) because um, they're the ones who are really the target audience. If they get it and use it as the guide by their side, instead of, you know, the doc or the NP or any other practitioner being the sage on the stage, then they really will empower them to know what the right screenings are, what, um, what would a balanced nutrition um, program look like taking into consideration their ancestry, their DNA and, and things like that, that can really sort of catapult them into feeling so much better, uh, in their, in their own selves. I, I think it's great that while your book is for adults, that older teens are a big part of your market because you recognize that if you can catch them then, that you can build in positive habits over the long haul. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Know, sometimes it Absolutely. is tough to, to teach an old dog new tricks, isn't it? <laughs> well, I think, you know, like I said, there is something in there for everybody. And also um, every generation is connected to a younger person as well, right? Um, it also gives like a good sort of reflection about, oh, I missed this particular screening, but I can still catch up and get it, mm-hmm. you know, and this is the importance why. And so, you know, every chapter sort of, you know, goes along in that um in that vein, so to speak, and, you know, gives you some insight into certain decades. And then I break it down at the end by sort of an age cheat sheet Mm. so that you can see the quote unquote mile markers um, that were supposed to happen. And maybe if they didn't happen, you know, it, does it still make sense to get it? And then to have a conversation with your practitioner about that. That, that alone is fabulous. You know, we have those when the kids are younger, what we should look at and and be proactive about. And then, you know, the kid turns nine and we just, well, we're finished with all that. Right. And yeah. oftentimes the young adults just go completely missing um, and they never show up. Uh, you know, I just had a patient um, uh, the other day that was, you know, in her forties and she'd never even gotten a pap smear. Wow. And, 
And so, you know, it's kind of a surprise for me, but um, it was a symptom that brought her in. And oftentimes we're very symptom oriented, very sort of reactive versus, you know, preventative. And there's so many things we pre- we can prevent. And the body really is just so amazing at healing itself if given the opportunity and given the right conditions. And so it's, um, it's, it's an, it's one thing to watch, you know, the body heal in such a way. It's also another thing to sort of get a condition or diagnosis and see it being able to be reversed through nutrition and lifestyle and exercise and things like that. And I've seen that many times and it's just, it's just so amazing. There's no better machine. I mean, yes, it's a fun analogy, but we certainly outlive any car, even (laughs) though we treat our cars better. Uh. Um, We, we, um, we, uh, we definitely, you know, have amazing machines and yes, there are, genetic SNPs and variants and things that will be challenging for many people. But there's also something called epigenetics, which I also talk about in the book. And that's the way the genes get expressed. So that actually is in much more of our control than most people realize. And that that expression is can even be passed down um, generation. So your habits are not just your own, you're actually like delivering them into future generations. And I think if people think about that, that whatever they, you know, um, do to themselves um, also affects everybody around them, you Mm -hmm. know, and then also, you know, the healthier you can be or intend to be the, the less of a burden that you are, you know, on somebody, on somebody else, you know, so um, yeah, but then, you know, Obviously, like, you know, we've been talking about there are certain things that are just completely out of our control accidents that happen and, you know, no responsibility of our own whatsoever um, or structural constraints, you know, um, the 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 kind of things. And the reason, you know, you brought up that it's about the U.S. healthcare system and there's a lot of structural things in the U.S. healthcare system that aren't friendly to a diverse audience. And there are, you know, you could just say like structural racism that's built in um, to even the formulas in our labs. And right now there's a huge effort and it's been going on to weed out some of the race-based calculators. Mm -hmm. And so there are genetic things that may vary more than race. And so those are also really important. So I put two of the big ones in the book. And um, if you get the Kindle version, there are also hyperlinks to calculate your own numbers. Oh, wow. And your, you know, your own, um, you have your own resources. So it's, you know, I make that sort of very affordable and very accessible to, to everybody. So I hope it gets out there. Oh, I hope so too. Goodness. You're, you're, you're saying so many things that as you're saying, I'm thinking she's right. I have no idea when the last time I went to an ex was, or what I should be checking on at my age, or, you know, I remember coming home from the hospital with a baby thinking, Mm -hmm. I can't believe they gave me this baby and didn't give me a manual. <laughs> you know, like you said, my blender has a manual and I come home with a person and I have absolutely no idea what I'm supposed to do. But just because, you know, the new mothers manage their way through it, what you're saying is so true. And 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 Lori mentioned how, you know, turning 50 represented such a change in her body that she just, you know, recognized and saw this change and yes but there's a the the medical you know change too that is going on and your your book is addressing so many things that people quite frankly have their head in the sand about well i would just say uh that what i'm fascinated by is with the healthcare system the way it is you know a lot of tests are unnecessary and some tests are very necessary and it's very hard to know which ones you really should pay attention to so to have a resource like that i think that's fantastic yeah no you're absolutely right yeah and and it's so 
you feel like you need a medical degree to understand the medical system. You know. Yeah, so that that's a great point. Um, I actually wrote, uh, I didn't test all the material, but I wrote, um, I tested some of the sections in, in a grade finder. So I think a majority of it is at the eighth grade reading level. <laughs> so it's, it's also accessible to folks in that way. And then there are a number of terms that people might not know, like epigenetics. So I have a glossary in the back of the book as well um to cover you know a lot of terms that may not be familiar so I sort of scoured through the book and and found you know different terms and things like that and I put a little glossary together fantastic well it sounds like a fabulous resource I just want to remind our viewers car talk body talk integrative primary care for adults only by Dr. Sunday I do want to ask all of my authors, and I know that we, we spoke a little bit about this, but just because I am such a firm believer in, in hammering it at home, if I am doing my shopping and we are like on the cusp of some serious holiday shopping here. So tell me a little bit about my shopping list. I have a huge list. I've been checking it twice. And Lori, I want to know who on my list I should be buying a copy of there's no place like home. Can you describe that person on my list that this would be the perfect gift? Yes, anyone who likes a good drama that it, that uh, contains sex, drugs, and disease. <laughs> no, it's well, about- Judging by television, that's like everybody. <laughs> I know. Yeah, no, it's um, a book about family. So uh, I think women, I particularly think it, it resonates with women who mm-hmm. are, who are, engaged with family and, yeah. you know, want to, want to read a, a book about something they could relate to with, with sex, drug, and disease. I love that. Yes. Well, <laughs> doesn't everyone have that? Absolutely. <laughs> Mary, tell us a little bit about who on my shopping list is getting a copy of nudges from the other side. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I've literally spoken to audiences in advance of when the book launched and I've said, this book is not going to be for everyone, but the people that it is for, I people will know that mm. and they'll know that at a really deep visceral level and it will really resonate with them. And so what I've said is if you are grieving a loss and earlier I mentioned, you know, I know all of us eventually will do that, whether it's a beloved individual in our lives, a beloved pet, whatever it may be, that is going to happen in our lives. And so it's for those people. But in addition, it's for those that are curious, whether they're just a little bit or deeply wondering about is their life when we die and so yeah i don't know that i'd wrap it up and put it under the tree but <laughs> i would thoughtfully consider the people that you may want to gift it to yeah no i i i, I hear that it could be it could be a little shocking under the tree but it Absolutely. is but if you know that a person it's going to resonate with um there is no more beautiful gift to me than giving a book that that is a gift, but it's also you're saying to that person, I understand you. Certainly not every single thing that's going on in your mind, but I am uh, I am feeling where you are and I want you to read this author. I heard of this book. I heard of this person. I, I felt you in my heart. As right. I, I know someone I'm going to buy it for. Here we go. Just so you know. No, yeah, I do. I know yeah, I, I mean, I think that's right. It's all about the feeling. Mm-hmm. And that's a lot of what I talk about in the book is leaning into your feelings, your intuition, and these, like, um, I guess, God-given things that we all come into this incarnation with. We always knew the truth, and then we kind of unlearn it as um, 
school and authorities began to tell us the way to exist in this world. And I, I think all that stuff might be right, but I also think there was a learning that we entered into the world with that we that we forget. And the book is all about bringing that back and leaning into the experience and really finding out that although they may not be right in our presence, they are, and they're just in this dimension where we can't really see them or touch them, but we can feel them deep, deep, deeply in our soul. Beautiful. Thank you. Thank you. And and Dr. Sunday, tell me who on my list am I getting a copy of Car Talk Body Talk for? Can you describe them? Sure. I think, you know, someone who really likes to have a natural approach, uh, reduce the use of medications, want to know how to integrate different modalities like um massage and acupuncture and um, supplements and things like that. Somebody who's really, you know, motivated about their healthcare, but at the same time may not know sort of like the whole kind of roadmap or, or GPS to take, mm-hmm. especially young adults, um, but also those whom you know, maybe haven't written their, you know, have their healthcare proxy or even written their living well. So, you know, anyone who you think could benefit from, from having a preventative guide, but also a step-by-step guide to not just rely on their practitioners uh, to, you know, give them information or tell them um, what to do, but someone who, who will need to be empowered or, you know, it could be it could be a young person, but it could also be someone who needs a little extra um, care and guidance uh, to navigate the system in a way that makes sense for them. Thank you, and thank you for the huge important reminder about uh, discussing and naming a healthcare proxy. I actually did an interview with a different author. Um, this week, who was all about, you know, healthcare proxies, I said, this will be fun. You're sparking all these really deep conversations around the Thanksgiving table this year, but it is, it is so important for us to do that. So, so someday I so appreciate that from you. So for all of our viewers out there, we have had three amazing authors and three very, very different books. Uh, Nudges from the Other Side by Mary Connedy Sullivan. There's No Place Like Home by Lori Condon and Car Talk, Body Talk by Dr. Sunday. I'm so excited to have these authors here with me today. Thank you so much for joining me and for all of our viewers out there. I hope that you've been inspired tonight. Thanks for joining us. Thank Thank you. you so much.